Welcome to Real World, a podcast from Stuma West for soon-to-be college graduates and young professionals who desire to walk faithfully with Jesus in the real world. I'm Logan, your host for today's episode, and we have the privilege of sitting down with Josh Butler to have a conversation about deconstruction. Josh is the co-lead pastor of my church, Redemption Tempe, in Tempe, Arizona, and he's also the author of a couple incredible books, The Skeletons in God's Closet and The Pursuing God, and he just signed a publishing deal for two more books in the coming years on the topics of sex and gender. So Josh, as my pastor, I'm, I'm really grateful for your leadership, your humility, your wisdom, man, and specifically your insight into the topic of deconstruction. You recently wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition titled Four Causes of Deconstruction. And uh, man, deconstruction's kind of become a hot button topic in the church today. And I think whether you've grappled with deconstruction yourself or seen friends or family deconstruct their faith, or have no background on the topic at all. I think we're really excited to get out ahead of this often controversial conversation and dive into the world of deconstruction as we look to Jesus for guidance. So Josh, man, thank you for being with us today. Dude, what's up, Logan? Man, definitely, man. This is awesome being here with you. And yeah, I paid Logan to say that nice things about the <laughs> books. But no, uh, man, dude, I've loved getting to know you more, Logan, over the years and just so stoked to be in life and the kingdom together here in, yeah. in Tempe. And yeah, and this is a big topic that I know many friends of mine have, have gone through and have just seen so many folks I know over the years where this is a real thing for uh, people that we know and love and maybe for some of us for ourselves you know uh, I've had seasons in my own life where I've really grappled with certain doubts and questions and and uh, hard topics of the faith and um, yeah man I think it's a big thing of asking how can we walk well with folks and even navigate these things well ourselves yeah yeah I think so too and man for our, for our listeners who don't have a whole lot of background in this topic of deconstruction Will you provide us with just like a working definition of what what are we talking about when we say that word deconstruction? Totally. Yeah, I'll share a definition here that I linked to in that article you mentioned uh, that I, I found helpful where uh, this is one. And just to clarify, too, I think one of the challenges in this conversation around deconstruction is so many people can mean different things by the term, mm-hmm. you know, like and so the same words getting used, but different people can kind of mean different things. So it is really important, helpful to kind of clarify first. What is it we're talking about? What do we mean by the term? Well, OK, here's a definition I like is that Deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Sometimes the Christian will deconstruct all the way to atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a reconstruction. But the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's the definition there. And But generally, kind of layman's I say, dude, a lot of people we know are wrestling with, man, do I really believe this thing or mm-hmm. you know when it comes to jesus christianity or what parts of it do i believe are there parts that i don't and uh what can often frame people be a painful or agonizing process of, of really grappling with um what do i believe about the faith that maybe i've grown up with or has been a part of my life for a while and um yeah and, and beginning to re-examine that yeah yeah and so thank you and in light of that and what's the first cause of deconstruction that you're seeing among Christians today? Um, the first one that you referenced in your article. And I will, I will add a, a tidbit here uh, for our listeners who are either about to graduate from college or have just graduated from college. It seems like this is a really hot season to like walk through deconstruction. It yes. seems like for me, at least as someone who graduated from college a couple of years ago, the last two years, I've just seen a lot of peers um, yeah. go through this process. And it, it seems like in a season of transition, 
the wheels are really primed to, yes. to do this. And so I just want to say that I'm, I'm thankful that we're touching on this. And yeah, what, what's, what's the first cause that That's you're seeing? Good. Well, even, even just to zoom out and say, why, why even talk about causes here? Well, one of the things I've found over the years, and I've been in ministry now of two decades, you know, and, and I found in walking with folks that my experience, deconstruction is often a symptom it's not the underlying root cause. And there's mm -hmm. actually a variety of underlying causes that can be underneath and behind the deconstruction process. And the reason why I wrote this article, the reason why I think that that's helpful to acknowledge and recognize is because too often in my experience, we treat deconstruction as solely like an intellectual phenomenon. Mm -hmm. You know, like yeah. it's just people have these hard questions about God. And so let's get them the right books. Let's give them the right resources. Let's give them the right things. And then those, I've, I've written some books like that. Like, yeah. I believe in that, you know, that, that's a part of it. Uh, but in my experience, it's often there's, some, there, there's more going on beneath the surface that's driving these things. So yeah. this experience. And so if we want to care for people well and uh, walk with them well and even for ourselves well in that process, I think it'd be helpful to kind of tap beneath the surface and go, okay, what, what's underneath? What's driving this deconstruction process? Yeah. Now, this list of four things we're about to talk about, it's not exhaustive per se. There can be other causes, other things, but these are just the four that I've found in my experience have been most prominent, right? Yeah. So the first one, a uh, big one, I would say is church hurt, yeah. right? Yeah. The people who have been wounded, uh, abused by, let down by, disappointed in the church. And this can come and that out, could be parachurch too. Totally, yeah. or parachurch, right? And this could be a variety of different things. So on one level... Uh, you could say people who have been personally hurt by mm -hmm. the church, right? And so they, uh, you know, mistreated by a pastor or a leader in their church or um, people that they know in their small group, someone gossiped about them or did something, you know, it, for different scales. For some, it's very serious. It might be abuse, you know, yeah. physical or sexual abuse. For others, it might be um, just treated really poorly by people who they had trusted and been close to, you know, mm -hmm. uh, violated trust and whatever form that comes for some though, there's just this, man, I have been hurt personally by the church and you're left reeling by going, mm -hmm. man, what do you, what do you do with that? You know? And for others too, I think it might not be that they've been personally hurt by the church, but we're also seeing right now, uh, an exposure of much corruption, sin, things in the church. So I think of uh, like Ravi Zacharias and of a mm -hmm. trusted international apologist. People look to him for ages as like being this, you I know. I remember watching his videos early in college as just answering hard questions that I had about the faith. Yeah. And then totally. Just a and, big then and then it's come out after his death, like just this revelation of all these skeletons he had in the closet when mm -hmm. it came to abuse and exploitation of women and all. And and you're just going, man, I thought I could trust him. Or you think of like the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, but many who were very influenced in my generation when I was growing up in ministry, like Mark Driscoll or someone like that, you know, and now yeah. there's this uh, question of, man, how much of that was really unhealthy or toxic? And and so you have these leaders that people have looked up to or um, exposure of injustice and corruption and abuse in the church and God's people. And all of that, I would just kind of put under this broader umbrella of church hurt you know yeah. like of being wounded let down disappointed mistreated by the church and so if that is the symptom mm -hmm. you know or i mean if that's the 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 root underneath right uh then how do you address that well i don't think i think deconstruction is a false cure right mm -hmm. because yeah. what one of the things that i think often is happening is 
dude, in the midst of our pain, it can be easier to just want to tear the thing down. Whereas where I find real power in the gospel and throughout the biblical story is in lament Mm -hmm. and grief, you know, and going like, dude, it is good and right to grieve and be sad. And, and, and I'm not saying just hear me, right? Like, what I'm not saying is like, hey, just have a good cry and get over it, right? Like, cry like, out. Yeah, I totally cried out. Like, when we're talking about lament in the Bible, it's often like a long process. Like, yeah. you look at the, you know, the Psalms, or part of this really struck me last summer. We were going through Nehemiah, and mm-hmm. Nehemiah is um, lamenting the state of God's people. He's like, dude, Jerusalem is in shambles, and he recognizes it's because of our sin, God. It's because of our corruption and abuse and injustice and idolatry is the people of God. That's why he's actually going, God, you deconstructed us. Like you tore down Jerusalem, you tore down the city because of our horrible witness of who we've been. And he sits in sackcloth and ashes for like over a month. He's fasting and crying out to God. And, and I love how Nehemiah is not like, Hey, let's just go fix the church. Like he doesn't get right to work. Let's try and rebuild. And he doesn't just leave and walk away. He starts with, confession and lament a confession for the sins of his people but also lament and grief over what's happened and i believe like the ground of renewal is watered with the tears of lament Mm. and grief and confession repentance where we need to own things and um where we've been missed not not where we've been mistreated though then it's you know recognizing and, and acknowledging and lamenting and bringing our pain before god that's also a way that this is different from it's not saying hey, just have a good cry and get over it. You know, like yeah. it's saying let's bring our pain before God. And Christ has the power to meet us there. And my sense is that often in America, we're not good at grief. We're really bad at it. Totally. I'm really bad at it. Like totally. we just have so many things that we can use to distract ourselves away from it. We don't have to ever feel grief or lament totally. if we don't want to. Totally. It's like, man, hey, get over it. Move on you know, stiff upper lip, like get back to life, you know, as quick as you can. And yet I think there's wisdom to sadness. And sometimes I think what's happening for some, the deconstruction process can actually be internalizing their grief because yeah. you're, um, the, the end of the day, the question is like, I think, are you moving closer to Jesus or further from him through this process? Because, not as like a guilt trip, but because going, man, I believe Jesus is where life and healing is found. And so your lament and grief and working for justice, like when there's been mysteries, let's work to work for justice, to build a church. There's Mm -hmm. a need for accountability, all those things. Yes. And, you know, yes. And amen. Um, But for us in our personal lives as well, going, man, I believe there's an invitation here to actually let our grief and sadness over what's happened to us draws closer into intimacy with Jesus. Yeah. Process. I love that. It's so good. Yeah. So the, the first root or cause being church hurt and the false cure being deconstruction and the, um, the good cure being grief or lament. Um, that's awesome. And Josh, what's, what's the second root or cause that you see, um, for people deconstructing their faith? Great. So a second cause, uh, I'd say is poor teaching, right? Mm-hmm. That there are, uh, many who have grown up whether in churches or with leaders or influences that have just had some really bad teaching, you know? And so I think of, you know, when I came to faith, I I remember friends who really, there were some who think like, man, if I believe in 
Jesus and Genesis one, whatever. I can't believe in science, you know. And so maybe they, they got like some bad teaching on Genesis one, or whatever that that has left them feeling like I can't believe in God and science, or you know, or right. others. You know, my my first book, Skeletons in God's Closet, uh, tackled like you know uh, the topic of hell. And for some, I think there's this picture of dude, I have to believe that God's this vindictive, sadistic torturer or something. But, yeah, you know, like he's got false this caricature side. that's like, ah, how do I grapple with this? Totally. And so they've been given, you know, this caricature of hell or this anti-science teacher or some other kind of thing where dude, there's there's bad teaching and they're going, man, I'm really struggling to reconcile. I need to re-examine my faith in light of this. Um, and that's, yeah, and that's, that's real. And one of the things that, I would say here, if the problem is bad teaching, then the solution is good teaching, right? Like, yeah. like, and, and it's I not love no teaching. It's not no teaching. Right. Exactly. And I think here, I, I think there's actually two versions of deconstruction, kind of a Jesus good version and a uh, Satan bad version. Right. So yeah. I think you see this, my friend Seth Trout pointed this out. You see this in two questions. One is the serpent's question in the garden did God really say, mm, right? Yeah. And the other is Jesus's question throughout the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, but I say, mm. right? And let's look at what's going on in each of those, right? So when you see the serpent's question in the garden, I'd say the enemy's version of deconstruction is, did God really say? Like his goal is to sow doubt in you in the character of God. It's to push you further it's, away. Totally. It's to go, God's not really good. He's not really for you. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. And he's trying to distance. He's trying to break trust, you know, for you to break trust with God and to distance yourself, remove yourself from him. So Satan's question pulls us further away from yeah. Christ, right? And for God. What Jesus's question, though, does is the opposite. You have heard it said, but I say. So you have heard it said, he's confronting and deconstructing, you could say, false teaching, bad teaching, the Pharisees, the you know some of the traditions in his day, yeah. uh, their interpretation of the law, uh, their interpretation of the Old Testament and all. But he's saying, but I say, this is going, let me give you the goods. <laughs> let me yeah. give you the real yeah. teaching, the truth. And so Jesus's goal in tearing down bad teaching is in order to replace it and build us up with good teaching. And what we see in Jesus's process is that his I think a better word for what he's doing is reconstruction because mm, he yeah. is, yeah, he's demolishing some stuff, but it's for the purpose of drawing us closer to truth, closer to in intimacy with him, closer to God. Like Jesus's end game is actually to draw us closer to himself. Yeah. So again, I think deconstruction is a false cure. And that's probably where we see people go wrong is they they'll, they'll do a good job of tearing everything down but they'll do a poor job of ever building anything back up that's better and looks more like jesus yes totally and one thing that you know i, I just got so so in the abstract hypothetically right, i'd say you got these two versions you know the satan version the jesus version right um and yet 95 percent of what i see going on in friends and culturally and stuff under the banner of deconstruction today is the Satan version, right? Like, yeah, is the bad yeah, version, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like it tends to be. Did God really say that? Did yeah. God re like it tends to be driven way more by a posture of skepticism and distancing ourselves from God and all those kind of things. If we're talking about like big picture Nicene Creed, global historic church, there is a wealth of mere Christianity. You might say, you know, resources yeah, yeah. on better minds than us have grappled with stuff. There's good teaching out there. It's available, and sometimes it's like, dude, we got to just get out of our 
echo chamber, echo chamber and mm-hmm. press into the global historic church tradition to kind of go, oh, there's good. Jesus has gifted us with good teaching. Just because you didn't hear it growing up doesn't mean it's not there. So yeah. you can go. Or just because someone took it and manipulated it yes. doesn't mean that, yeah, what Jesus brings to the table isn't good. Totally. Yeah, that's really good. So, yeah, that second root or cause um, of deconstruction is poor teaching. And, yes. and the response in a healthy way is to see good teaching and to be filled with good teaching. That's awesome. Yes. Man, Josh, what's the third root or cause of deconstruction? Great. So the third, now here's where I'm going to get myself in a little bit of trouble, right? Because I'm going to start Uh-oh. to go negative, right? The yeah. first two, church hurts, kind of something's happened to you. Uh, poor teaching, something that you got, you know, yeah. often received from outside of yourself. The third one, I think we got to be honest, there's sometimes there can be a desire to sin, mm-hmm. right? So the third category I would use is desire to sin. And this is, the backdrop for this is just experientially over the years, having so many people who, uh, and this I find at times feels more prominent with like people in ministry leadership and stuff, mm-hmm. where I've had a number of friends over the years who are like, yeah, I'm really, I have these big questions about God now, and I'm not sure I understand this, da, 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 you know, and, and I'm like, okay. And so we're talking about it on an intellectual level, engaging the stuff. And then I find out, and then they totally walk away, blow up their faith order. And then I find out, dude, they've been having an affair for like six months to a year before. Or, the yeah, they started, started sleeping with their know? girlfriend or totally. boyfriend. Yeah. And going, dude, that's not a random one-off experience. That's been a repeated common yeah. experience for many, you know? And it makes you look back and go, dude, there was more going on. Yeah, like interesting you, you were talking. You totally good timing, right? And so at times, and, and I'd say this isn't just for other people. For me, this is a good check engine light on my own heart. Yeah, for me too. There have been times where I find myself kind of going, man, did God really say, I don't know that I want to believe, you know, that, you know, I'm I'm kind of wrestling with this. And then I find like the ding, ding, ding. Like I want to pay attention to that warning light on on my heart. God, is there something deeper going on in Mm -hmm. me? Am I trying to justify something that I'm doing that's not right? Totally. And often it's like there is like this, this thing or this pattern or this something that I'm wanting to justify distancing myself from God on you got the classic old quip you know what the heart wants the mind justifies mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of truth to that you like, felt that in my life yeah totally man and even like we can want things and not even realize at t- I think sometimes that can be more beneath the surface like, like we don't even subconscious yeah. like we don't even realize we're trying to justify something that we want and yet we've almost dichotomized it in our own life in order to protect ourselves from having to come to grips with what we want is not good, you know? And, and that's where I think, dude, if the, if the root cause is a desire to sin, then deconstruction is poison that can kill you, right? Mm -hmm. Like it is fueling the fire. It's, it's, it's helping you go on a trajectory that can lead to your destruction. You know, like your distance from God, you're blowing up your life. You're, hurting people around you or all those different things like sin's destructive and anything used to justify your sin is actually it's a false cure dude like that's it's a it's poison if if that's the root deal right um and and like you've mentioned a couple times like if the unhealthy type of deconstruction is pushing us further away from Jesus, it just makes sense. Like logically an aspect of sin is that it separates us from God. It pushes us further away from God. And so yeah if we're throwing gas on the quote-unquote fire in this area then no wonder we're going to find ourselves further from god at the end of the day yes totally totally and if the and the good news of the gospel is it gives us a cure right like if the root is a desire to sin 
the gospel cure is confession and repentance, mm-hmm. you know? And so I love in uh, Acts 26, verse 18, uh, the voice of Jesus, Jesus invites all to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Um, end quote. So there, dude, Jesus is, is going like, Dude, I'm inviting you to turn from the darkness to the light and turn from Satan to God, to turn from things that will destroy you to the the life that's found in me. And that's where, again, I just go, man, if we're treating deconstruction only on the intellectual level of man, these tough questions we kind of got, you know, like we're refusing to, to care for the whole person. And and I'm not saying, let me let me qualify this. What I'm not saying is Dude, your friend comes to you, someone comes to you, they're wrestling with their faith, and the first thing, oh, you just want to sin. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm right. not saying that. You know, What's this, going on behind closed yeah. doors? Yeah. Dude, the goal of this is not accusation. No. You know? um, but the goal is uh, being wise and discerning and attentive. You know, like in, in my own life with myself and in conversations with others, it's like, yeah, I think I was naive in my younger years to just think the best of mm-hmm. these things weren't at play. And now it's like, okay, I want to be attentive to like, is What's, there church hurt? Is there some bad teaching? Or, you know, are, are there things that you're kind of wanting right now? This is, you know, yeah. yeah. And I've had, I know fine. we've probably both had some close friends that have gone through a deconstruction process. And I know I've had a couple of friends that now on the other side of it, beginning a reconstruction process, yeah. have had the humility to ad- admit and confess and acknowledge, hey, if I'm being real with myself, I was trying to justify um, sin in my life. And totally. I appreciate hugely their humility, but yeah, this, it just is real. This is a real root and yeah. cause of deconstruction. Yeah, Totally, dude. I had, it was interesting because I had, when the article was up and, you know, I was getting some, some negative, you know, stuff on that, <laughs> like, I'm not desiring to say, you know, and uh, I had a number of people reach out, uh, kind of like private messages. They didn't want to get into the firestorm, you know, but they were like, Dude, I I deconstructed you know back in the day, and it was totally I would never have said it at the time, but it was totally desire to sin. Mm, you know that yeah. was my story. You know, and I think it's that's the one that's hard to own when you're doing it because you yeah, don't want to. You know, like, but it, it's a reality we have to come to grips with. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so that third cause, uh, a desire to sin, and and dis- deconstruction can be a poison in that area if if that is your desire, but. The good cure is confession and repentance. I love that. Josh, what's the fourth and final cause or root of deconstruction? Yes, the fourth one is uh, what I called street cred in the which article. you also yeah. got some yes. pushback for. Totally, which uh, one pushback was, man, that are we in the 90s or the 80s? Or I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm old. I'm old, I'm old school. I grew up in the – so maybe clout would have been a better word today. Clout right? is an equally good word, yeah. <laughs> but clout or street cred, the big idea here being that, dude, there is a cultural pressure that we feel today. Um, and – so I do think that in many circles and corners, like doubt is hip, you know, like mm-hmm. if I, I definitely, so I was, grew up in, in uh, Northwest in Oregon, Portland, uh, it was my hometown and was in ministry there for about 20, you know, 15, about, yeah, a little over 15 years before moving here. And dude, it was like, dude, you meet, you connect with friends. And if you were to say, yeah, I'm kind of struggling with my faith right now, or I got these questions or, da, da, you know, and to, to friends who were believers and non-believers just in the atmosphere or even people who were not Christian but would say yeah I just don't know what to think what to believe like like you would get oh wow well tell me more I'm really you know like yeah, you would get affirmation yeah. but if you were to go 
dude, now I'm confident in whatever. Like that was just looked down upon, dude. That like, the, there's like, a skepticism of anyone who is confident in anything, right? Mm-hmm. So there is, I think, and, and we can talk about more why why I think that is, but I just think it is the reality that currently doubt, skepticism, uncertainty, not just in Christianity, just in general in our cultural moment right now, are uh, are hip, are looked up to. You know, yeah, it's like the um, cool, it's the cool thing to do. It's yeah. the cool thing, yeah. It's bad. And I think we see this with a lot of celebrities like leading the charge. You know, there's folks that, um, uh, you know, you see kind of quote unquote famous quote unquote Christians or, you know, who have kind of left uh, the faith and had very public. And it's funny whether you're talking about famous celebrities or just people on the street doing kind of the Instagram post or the thing of like, hey, I've deconstructed my faith and walking away. And every story seems to sound the same, dude. It's like everyone's yeah. reading off the same script, which makes me feel like, dude, this is more like a conversion narrative than a deconversion. Like there's a conversion to a dominant ideology and kind of mode of operation today. Some new you know? quote unquote religion almost. Exactly. Totally. And so here's the conversion script that, you know, yeah. um, and yet it's under the guise or banner of neutrality and that there's, you know, I'm, I'm becoming a free thinker, you know, it's like, well, right. you sound just like the lemmings <laughs> like right. of everybody right, right. Yeah. now. You and know? your your friend AJ Swoboda wrote an amazing book on the topic of deconstruction yes. and doubt. And he talks about how there's this desire to almost transcend your background and transcend transcend your like family of origin and yes. almost like become quote unquote enlightened or like greater than or and how there is this like clout and value attached to like well I've like I've left the silly simple ways of my past and now I've yes. transcended to this new like enlightened way of seeing the world and thinking and there's just a lot of value placed on that in our culture right now. Totally man, totally. And so this one, you know, this this one got the most the most pushback of the four, um but I have become more convinced than ever that dude this is like no, it's just real, you know. Yeah. Um and so I I'd love to give a few thoughts on that kind of expanding on it, you yeah. know. Um so first off, I think first disclaimer would be that dude street cred, clout, whatever you want to call it. It works both ways, right? So historically, I think, you know, there were many places where you got street cred or clout for being a Christian, for identifying with Christian faith. So if you take like the Bible Belt in the South in the 70s or something, right? Yeah. If you're a realtor, real estate agent, dude, it gives you bonus points to go, hey, I'm a Christian. You go to church. There's potential clients there. There's all that. Like there's um, a credibility that you get. For the, with the people around you by saying, hey, I'm a Christian and by doing the Christian thing. That's why I think most presidents throughout U.S. history have had to identify as Christian, you know, like in yeah, order to get, to get elected. Get voters, yeah. It's like you can't you can't get elected if you don't. Right. At least that, that, that was the case. Now, all I'm saying here is that that cultural script has by and large flipped, at least in dominant many, many circles of, of culture today. Um, so here's three observations on why I think this is so prevalent today. Uh, the first would be the power of relationships, mm-hmm. right? The power of relationships in conversion, deconversion, construct, deconstruction. So there's a famous sociologist of religion, Rodney Stark, who um, became famous in the field for his uh, work ongoing. Basically, the premise was this. When people describe why they convert to a religion or deconvert to, you know, from their religion, what they will tend to tell you and emphasize are the intellectual reasons. Mm-hmm. Like, I finally looked at the truth. I finally saw it. Da, 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 da. Saw with clear eyes. Saw yeah. with clear eyes. But what they don't tell you, uh, but what when you study it, it's very much 
foundationally at play is the relational undercurrents of, of relationships that they're with, right? And so he focused on this in studying the rise of the Mormon church and how mm. did this thing go to just this explosive the moon, growth yeah. in a century, right? Um, but then he also applied it to the early church. How did the Christianity go from the small persecuted minority to this massive, you know, um, global religion? And but now his work on that that thesis though is just widely accepted in sociology religion is that there are often the not, not are dom, a dominant factor is these relationships and relational networks and things that are driving underneath the intellectual reasons people give for their conversion deconversion, and to me as a Christian that makes sense right yeah, like it does. dude it's uh, the triune God we are made relationally by a relational God mm-hmm. and the church is to be a relationship you know. It, it, the gospel spreads not just through information. It spreads through the feet of those who bring good news, yeah. through the front door, through relationships, through word of mouth, through presence, right? So yep. that makes sense. So number one, the power of relationships. Second would be the uh, presence of cross-pressure, cross mm-hmm. right? And so by cross-pressure, what I'm referring to here is um, Charles Taylor, famous philosopher. A secular um, age. Totally, a secular age is magnum opus and really looking at Dude, what are the defining marks of our secular age? And one of the chief marks he gives is what he calls cross-pressure. And it's this idea that everywhere you go, there are people who think differently than you about the world today. And that's pretty unique. Yeah. Like So back in the day, let's say if you were a pagan uh, who believed in Zeus, I don't know, Viking or I don't know, whatever. You know, if you're, you're a pagan and believe in Zeus... Everybody in your family, everyone in your village, everyone in your tribe, everyone in your nation, everyone also believes in Zeus. So there's no pressure on your belief in Zeus because everyone around you believes the same thing. It's just sort of taken for granted or assumed or right. on the surface. Um, but what we have today, one of the marks of a secular age, probably because of globalization, urbanization, yeah. all these things, is we're constantly interacting and coming across and surrounded by people who see the world differently. For all of us, that puts a pressure on your belief, an implicit pressure yeah. on your belief. Uh, I think that's part of the reason why doubt is increasingly hip is it's like it's acknowledging, dude, I don't know. You're kind of blown and tossed by the waves of every new conversation you have, every new person you meet. You're like, well, is it that? Is it this? Yeah, totally. And I think that's why historically deconstruction has been most prominent on uh, in urban centers and on college campuses. Yep. Right. Because if you think about those two factors you just mentioned, power of relationships, you have been uprooted from your traditional community, your historic relationships to go off to college, to move to the city. And so suddenly you're uprooted from your historic relationships, often in a community where people tended to see things more the same. And now you're exposed to all these different people and you're exposed to all these different ideas, mm-hmm. like on campus, yeah. in the city. Like, dude, and, and I'm not saying that's bad. Dude. I love intellectual yeah. environment, all those things. But it's just going historically, I think, on the campus and in urbanization um, you're encountering radically new networks of relationships being exposed to radically different new ideas and so you take those two and then you add the third big category would be the pervasiveness of the internet Mm -hmm. right so if you take the power of relationships the presence of cross pressure and you add the pervasiveness of the internet which basically has just exploded the relational matrix that we're all in exponentially exploding. Yeah, like it magnifies those first two it. things. Yeah. Totally. And it's magnified the presence of cross pressure because just the amount of ideas that you're coming across on Facebook, Instagram, on, online, Reddit, whatever, you know, like just, and just implicitly like 
we are living in this matrix of ideas and people that are putting an extreme cross pressure for everyone on what they believe. And that's why I think today, like we're all on the college campus now, we're all yeah, in the urban yeah. center, we're all in that, that kind of matrix. And, and so when I talk about clout or street cred, what I'm not saying is that people are just, oh, I wanna be popular, so I wanna change, you know, like I recognize you, deconstruction can be a, da- uh, uh, can be a painful process yeah, for many people, yeah. like losing some family or friends or relationships, you know, can put strain on relationships. What I am saying is like I do believe strongly that it's trendy today and it's trendy for a reason, dude. It's yeah. because you get credibility in our cultural moment today by acquiescing to the cross pressure and doubting and skepticism and all those things are a sign of acclimation to the pressures of our moment, our age. And mm-hmm. what that means, I think, for followers of Jesus is one, we're going to need resiliency to actually press our roots deeper into Christ and his presence. I think spiritual disciplines, practices, things like that can be a great resource for us going deeper. And I believe we need to crucify our image. Like if mm-hmm. one of part of that cross pressure entails like boosting our image, you know, like like repping ourselves well before, you know, the world and and, and all like Jesus confronts those who love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. Mm-hmm. And we need to be a people willing to crucify our image before men and women in the world in order to live for the glory that comes first and foremost from God. Yeah, you taught a sermon last year called Keep Christianity Weird. Yes. And, and leaning into the, <laughs> hey, like we're just going to look different and yes. you have to kind of embrace that. Yes. And that's really good. Totally. That's good. Awesome. Man, I love that. So that fourth root or cause um, being street cred and the false cure to that being deconstruction, but the the good cure being a, hey, lean into the crucifixion of your image, like be okay being different and maybe being weird. Yes. Um, but yeah, the, the, I love those four roots and causes that you laid out, I think just gives us kind of a holistic grasp and understanding. Again, like you said, it doesn't run the gambit. It's not comprehensive, but I've seen as well and just like discipling college students and um, walking alongside people that have just recently graduated from college that uh, those are four of probably the primary causes and so yeah the the false cure to all of them is to do unhealthy deconstruction but um the good cures are like you said grief and lament in response to church hurt it's uh good teaching in response to bad teaching it's a confession and repentance in response to a desire to sin and it's a crucifixion of your image in response to the street cred or the clout. Totally, dude. And and what I'd say at the end of the day, just kind of go back to big picture. The the point of all this is to go, dude. It's I think it's a miss if we we don't want to just treat deconstruction as this intellectual phenomenon. So we just need the right books, the right apologetics resources, the right the right podcast, you know, the right <laughs> podcast, right? Like if we're gonna walk well with people and even navigate this well in our own lives, where it shows up. Um, like we want to pay attention to the whole person and what can be driving things beneath and just realize, man, there may be some pain there. There may be some bad teaching people got there. Maybe something they're wanting that they shouldn't be going after right now. There may be some um, cultural pressure they're feeling or relational pressure that they're under. And, and being attentive to those, I think, can help us be wiser in how we navigate deconstruction. And at the end of the day, the end game is union with Jesus, right? It's closeness, it's proximity to Jesus. And so the beauty of the gospel, I think, is it gives us resources for dealing with those underlying root causes, right? 
like your grief and sadness and lament and your pursuit of justice and things, those can draw you closer in intimacy with Jesus, whereas deconstruction can distance you from him, you know? Um, good teaching can draw you closer into loving God with all your mind and glorify, you know, and, and a deeper confidence in who he is, whereas deconstruction pulls you away in cynicism and unbelief from God. Um, the confession and repentance draws you into the mercy and grace of God and the beauty of the gospel, whereas yeah. deconstruction can be a poison that fuels your trajectory of sin. Uh, your crucifixion of your image can become like, dude, following Jesus, dude, who died to himself and lived unto God and the way of the cross and, and actually become a means of deep intimacy and union with Christ when you follow in the steps there. 